1 Samuel chapter number 21, verse number 3 and 4, and then the book of Acts chapter number 11 and verse number 5. If you found 1 Samuel chapter number 21, say praise the Lord. Now therefore, what is under thine hand? Give me five loaves of bread in mine hand, or what there is present. And the priest answered David and said, There is no common bread under mine hand, but there is hallowed bread. If the young men have kept themselves at least from women, there is no common bread under my hand, but there is hallowed bread. Acts 11 and 5. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. A certain vessel descended as it had been a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners. And it came even to me, upon the which, when I had fastened mine eyes, I considered and saw four footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowl of the air and I heard a, vo heard a voice saying unto me arise Peter slay and eat but I said not so Lord for nothing common or unclean hath at any time entered into my mouth but the voice answered me again from heaven what God hath cleansed that call not thou common. What God has cleansed, that call not thou common. The priest told David, there is no common bread under my hand, but there is hallowed or holy bread. There is no common bread. That's what I want to preach about today. There is no common bread. Lord, I thank you, God, for your goodness and for your mercy, for your presence, God, for your power, for your spirit. God, I'm asking for you to do a work of the Holy Ghost in this house today. I pray, God, that you would help me to somehow transmit the burden that I feel in my spirit this morning. Help me to have the right words, the right way to deliver it. God, whatever it takes for your message to get into hearts today, I pray that you would have your way. God, for everyone that's in this house, everyone that's watching by some form of media, I pray, God, that your anointing would destroy yokes today. I ask God for you even right now while I pray to pour the oil of your anointing on people's mind and heart. To destroy yokes, God. To destroy bondage. To destroy things in our lives that stand against you and your presence. And I pray, God, that you would have your way and confirm your word with signs following. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. That's right. Go ahead and worship the Lord today.
Amazing things happen when somebody gets hungry. May I tell you this morning from the very outset that spiritual hunger should be part of our everyday life. The Lord's Prayer instructs His people to request our daily bread. It is that deep inner longing of the soul that cannot be satisfied with material goods or possessions or superficial relationships. Often when we hear messages about spiritual hunger, we hear words like motivation or passion or craving, desire, desperation, discomfort, yearning. These are, if you will, sophisticated notions. While these words describe hunger, I don't believe that they truly capture or grasp hunger's true nature and definition. Hunger is a primal drive in the heart and the spirit, the life of humans, really of all creation. Let someone get to the point of starvation and they'll do anything they have to to survive. Hunger is a primal instinct. It is in the nature of every living being. Hunger is a natural response to a living being's requirement for nourishment. In the physical realm, hunger happens more than once a week. It happens every day, multiple times daily in a healthy circumstance. It's one of the most basic drives of human life. Hunger can only be abated either by eating or by some terrible emotional distress, such as grief, or by force of will where somebody just refuses to eat. Many years ago, I had a relative who was diagnosed with a terminal disease. I've told you this story many times over the years, I think. When he was told that he was dying, it devastated him mentally. He became so distressed and devastated that he thought about dying slowly over years by this disease and he decided he wasn't going to waste away over the course of years. So at that moment, he decided that he was not going to eat anymore. He lost over a few days his appetite for food. He decided to starve himself to death in a few days rather than a few years. For weeks, he refused to eat until finally his body gave way and died. Tragically, during that time, extensive testing showed that he had been misdiagnosed. He was not terminal at all. He could be treated. But he thought that they were lying to him to get him to eat, so he prolonged his fast. He refused food. Even though he physically was healthy, he had decided that he was not going to give in to hunger anymore. And though misdiagnosed, he starved himself to death. His decision to refuse food took his primal hunger away until he died. He purposed not to eat based on an emotional response to terrible news. 
He lost his will to eat. He died not from disease, but he died from a lack of an appetite. Spiritually speaking, we all have an appetite. We just don't all have an appetite for the same things. This explains why some people can sit in a service when the Lord visits with his power and return home just as empty as they came, sometimes even emptier, because their hunger has already been satisfied with things out there, and they weren't hungry for what was going on in here. Spiritual hunger is primal for every living creature. It's born inside of the soul of every individual to be hungry. You'll either be hungry for God or you'll be hungry for this world. But you're going to be feeding yourself with something in your spirit. Some people seemingly have no appetite for the presence of God. Those who can sit through a move of God and not respond in some way. They're receiving nourishment from somewhere, just not necessarily from the Lord. If they sit at the Father's banqueting table, only to push away the plate, their spirit has already been fed by something. You can't force someone to eat, nor can you whet their appetite if they don't want something from God. If someone sits at the table of carnality, digesting the things of this world. But if somebody ever really gets hungry for God, it'll unlock something primal and supernatural in their soul. Amen. Oh, God, help me to preach this morning. Everybody's hungry for something. The question is, will you feed that hunger with something that will last, or will you feed it with something that you're going to wake up tomorrow and still be hungry and never find peace and joy and rest for your soul. There, the time that we read in our text, the earlier passage, was a transition time in the life of David. At this time, he was anointed by Samuel to be the king, but it would be a long season before he ever rose to the throne. At this time, Saul is still the king, but... Saul has descended into a murderous rage and rebellion against God. David was running from Saul, not because he was afraid, but because he had a respect for Saul's position as the king. David and his soldiers, his troop of soldiers then, while escaping from Saul, were very hungry. And the Bible said they came to the northern city of Nob, a place where was, was dedicated for priests, for the priesthood to live. And here Amalek was the priest, and David made a very simple request to the priest. He asked him in 1 Samuel 21 and 3, Now therefore what is under thine hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand, or what there is present. David, David said, What do you have? Give me five loaves of bread or, or whatever you've got. I'll take whatever you have. If you're really hungry, you're not that picky. Amen. I remember we were in Savannah. I guess it was last year maybe. that All the time runs together nowadays. But we were in Savannah, and, and there, the, the, the city has a lot of homeless people, and, and we had got some extra food, so we were going to give it 
to somebody that was on the streets and, were, and they were hungry. And when we handed, we reached out the bag to somebody that, that had been on the, we'd seen him on the streets all, all week long. He said, I don't eat leftovers. And he refused it. And in my mind, I thought, well, you're not hungry enough there, big boy. Because when you're really hungry, you'll eat anything. Amen. David said, give me five loaves of bread or whatever you've got. I'll take anything you have. And the priest's response to David in 1 Samuel 21 and 4, and the priest answered David and said, there is no common bread under my hand. There, but there is hollowed bread. I don't have any common bread. All I have is holy bread. All I have is the bread that comes from the house of God. They, the Bible calls it shoe bread. It is bread that has been made specifically for the house of God. The Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron to keep a table in the tabernacle, in the, whole, in the, in the holy place. They were to have 12 loaves of bread. Each loaf weighed 11 pounds, and there were 12 loaves, 132 pounds of bread altogether. These loaves were to be left in the tabernacle for seven days. They were there to symbolize the blessings of God's presence among the people, that in his presence there is bread. The loaves showed the provision of God and what comes from being in his presence. There was a constant miracle in the, in, in the presence of God concerning the bread. The Bible says that the bread didn't get stale. It never got cold. The bread was just as hot on the seventh day when they took it out as it was on the first day when they laid it on the table. It was always fresh, always hot, always warm. It never cooled off. It stayed fresh all week long. And, and when the priest would come in, four priests would come to the south side of the table and they would line up in front of the bread and one priest would take a row of bread and the priest on the north side, as soon as they took that one row, they would lay the hot, the new bread down and the bread that they took off was just as fresh as the bread that they put down. Always a miracle in the presence of God. The Lord's table always provides a miracle. Amen. It didn't get old. It didn't get stale. It was always fresh. I, I was. Uh, we, we've had so many people stay in the apartment the last the last few uh, few weeks. We've had guest preachers and different folks come through and stay, and, uh, and and we try to keep it stocked with stuff. And so when Brother Poole came a week or so ago, I went out and I checked to see what I needed to get to replenish it, so he would have something to eat. And I found a coffee cake that had expired two and a half weeks earlier. And so I, 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 I took it and I had to go in my office for something. I thought, well, I don't want to leave this in the trash. It'll stink. So I put it in my refrigerator. And uh, I got a little mini fridge in my office. So this morning, as I was getting ready for service, I felt my sugar start to drop. And so I opened up the little refrigerator and I had coffee pods and a, about a month-long expired coffee cake. And so I made an executive decision to risk the coffee cake. And so that, that, I, I opened that box and I pulled out the, the little pan and I, and I tried to pull it away, but it didn't pull it. it. It broke away. And I thought, well, 
If God wants me to preach, I'll survive. And so I'm here by a miracle. I, I, I chewed that a crunchy coffee cake. It was terrible, but it did what it needed to do. It wasn't fresh. Amen. I see Sister Evagene. She's, she's praying for me right now. That coffee cake don't kick in. It wasn't fresh. It was stale. It was old. It didn't taste good. But in the house of God on the seventh day, it was just as fresh as the first day. And on the seventh day, it was just as warm as it was the day that they put it down. Because in the presence of God, it's never intended for his presence to get old and stale. It's always supposed to be fresh and warm and on fire with the presence of God. Amen. They removed that old warm bread and put the new warm bread. I, I was reading the Jewish encyclopedia, and, and it, it, man, I, I found this, this and, I, and I, I copied it down. I, I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget it. And it said that the more proper name for, for this bread, according to the, the, the Jewish encyclopedia, was that it called it not shoe bread like, like we use it in English, but they call it presence bread. Presence bread. Because it was from the presence of God. Presence bread was not made like common bread. Amen. Can I preach to you here in a minute? Presence bread was not made like common bread. The flour was sifted many times to make sure that there was nothing unholy in it. The people that made the bread would not even eat the bread because they wanted to make sure that they did not get accused of taking something from the presence of God. They only ate common bread, but they saved this fine sifted flour made specifically for the house of God, each loaf, 11 pounds. David said, give me five loaves of bread, about 55 pounds of bread or so, about 50 to 55 loaves of our typical bread package you might pick up at the grocery store. Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you've got. I'll take whatever you have. And the priest answered in verse number four of 1 Samuel 21, and the priest answered David and said, There is no common bread under my hand. I don't have normal bread. I don't have ordinary bread. I don't have average bread. I don't have Walmart bread or Kroger bread or Cash Saver or Dollar General bread. If you're looking for ordinary bread, you've come to the wrong place. Because here, I don't keep ordinary bread under my hand. The only thing I have here is holy bread. Amen. What I have isn't stale. It's not ordinary. It's not average. It's hot and fresh, just like the day it was made. It's holy, hollowed, sanctified bread. Amen. I, I, this is not something I planned to preach, but it is in the Bible. If you remember the verse that, that I read, he said, I have only hollowed bread. And then he said, if the young men have kept themselves, at least from women. He said, you can have the holy bread, but you got to live right to get it. Amen. Can I tell you that God is merciful and gracious, but there's some things that you'll only get if you live for God. 
There's some things that's not for everybody, and everybody can't just get it. There's some blessings that only come to people who live a holy life, and that's the bottom line. you got to keep yourself pure and holy to get some things you need from the presence of God. Amen. You ought to not get tired of holiness preaching, folks. You ought to get, not get tired of preaching that lowers. You ought to not get tired of, of preaching that raises a standard instead of lowers a standard. Because there's some bread that you only get if you're willing to live a certain kind of lifestyle. He said it's hollowed bread. Jesus said in John 6, 35, Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. John 6, 48, Jesus said, I am that bread of life. Can I, can I make an admission to you that, that I think sometimes we are guilty of not emphasizing Jesus enough? We preach about joy and peace and healing and miracles and motivation and worship and holiness and prayer, healing signs and wonders. We preach all the benefits about Jesus, but we don't always preach Jesus enough. Amen. Jesus is the bread. And if you get the bread, you get everything in the bread. Amen. When you eat the bread, you get all the ingredients that go into it. When you get the bread, you get everything that went into the bowl when they mixed it up. When you get the bread, you get everything that's inside of the bread. And I got a feeling if we just get Jesus, everything else we need would be taken care of. If we get a good dose of Jesus, we'd get peace along with it and joy and miracles and signs and wonders. Your answer is in Jesus. It's not a motivational seminar. It's Jesus. Jesus is the bread. He said, I am the bread of life. You'll never really have life without Jesus. Can I tell you that Jesus is not common bread? He's not ordinary bread. He's not another just Messiah. They had all these people claiming to be the Messiah, but only one of them got up out of the grave. Only one of them walked on water. Only one of them turned water into wine, opened blind eyes, and raised the dead. And his name is Jesus. He's not common. He's not ordinary. He's not average. Can I just tell you that there's no common bread in Bethlehem? All we have is holy bread, the bread sent down from heaven. I wish somebody praised Jesus right now. I wish somebody praised Jesus right now. Jesus is hallowed bread. The priest said, there's no common bread under my hand. What I'm offering is not ordinary, average, or mediocre. Can I tell you that Jesus is everything? Back in the old days of Pentecost, when, when, uh, when, when it was first becoming popular in America, they called us Jesus-only folks. And, and it really was a, a pejorative term used by ignorant people. And if you hear somebody call you Jesus-only now, just remember, they're probably ignorant. So don't let it bother you too much. I learned a long time ago, don't let people that don't know, don't understand, or can't figure it out ever make you feel bad for something that you have experienced and you know is real. I'm not going to let somebody that doesn't know anything about the Holy Ghost tell me it's not real because they've never had what I've got, and I know it's real. 
We're not Jesus only, we're Jesus everything. We know he is the answer to everything. He's the solution to everything. He, it's all in him. It's all in him. The fullness of the Godhead, it's all in him. In him dwelled all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. When you get Jesus, you get the healer. When you get Jesus, you get the miracle worker. When you get Jesus, you get water turned into wine. You get, the, you get everything in Jesus. He is the bread. Look, we don't have a common ordinary Savior. We don't have a common ordinary God. We have the God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the everlasting Father. It's all in Jesus. I wish somebody just praise his name right now. I wish somebody, I wish somebody shout his name out right now. Hey, he's not ordinary bread. He's a Savior. He's a healer. He's a deliverer. He'll do what not. He'll do more in one moment than all the psychologists in the world can do. He can do more in one altar call than all the rehabs can do. He can do more in one moment in his presence uh, than every divorce lawyer could fix, uh, that every doctor could heal. He does it all in his presence. He's not ordinary bread. Hey, I found him to be, I found him to be great. I found, I found him to be everything that I need. It's all in Jesus. Oh, yeah, come on. Let's praise his name right now. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I thank you. Jesus, I thank you because you're not common, ordinary. You're not just a statue on a cross somewhere. Jesus is not common, ordinary. Average, mediocre. He's everything, awesome, amazing. He's not like Buddha. He's not like Muhammad. He's not like some other religious figure. He's not just a guru or a priest or a teacher. There's no common bread here today, folks. What I'm preaching about is not common religion. It's not even common Christianity. Most of Christianity has, has, has more in common with false religion than it does with the Bible. Well, praise God. Amen. For those that just tuned out, sorry, but it's still true. Amen. Most of modern Christianity has divorced itself from the presence of God. They're more in love with ritual than they are with his presence. They're more in love with going through the motions of religion than they are with having an experience in the Holy Ghost. But I've come to tell you, there's no common bread here. I don't want dead ritual. I don't want dead rote. I don't want to just go through the motions of religion. I want a real relationship with the holy bread. I don't want common bread. I don't want dead church, dry church, cold church, stale church. I want everything that God has for me. I want hot bread. I want a fresh anointing in my life. Amen. This is the bread of his presence. What I'm preaching will sustain you in a famine. What I'm preaching will nourish you when the enemy's after you. It's not common, dead, dry denominationalism. It's not common, ritual-based religion. There's no common bread under my hand. For a New Testament parallel, let's look at the book of Acts, chapter number 10, verses 9 and 10. On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Everybody say, he prayed. 
he went up on the housetop to pray. And he became very hungry. And he became very hungry. Can I tell you that people who pray get hungry? It didn't say Peter was hungry and began to pray. It said he went to prayer and he became hungry. Can I tell somebody who you find yourself today not hungry for God, not hungry for his presence? You find yourself satisfied with this world. What you need more than anything is to pray. You ought to pray, God, stir me up one more time. God, shake me up one more time. God, get a hold of my spirit one more time. God, I wish somebody would pray it right now. God, I need you to help me to get hungry. God, I need you to help me to get an appetite for spiritual things. He went to the housetop to pray and became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. He became hungry and he went into a vision. Can I tell you that God imparts vision to hungry praying people? If you want to see a real vision of what God wants to do in your life, in your family, and in your church, pray until you get hungry. And when you get hungry enough, God will begin to show you visions. Amen. God will begin to show you your ministry, your anointing, your calling, your work. But it's not going to happen if we don't pray enough to get hungry for God. But when you pray and get hungry for God, God begins to open your eyes with vision. And you begin to see what God wants for your life. When he, got, when he prayed and he got hungry, then he got a vision. And in this vision, it was like a sheet full of animals. And it was being lowered by the four corners of the, of the sheet from heaven. And in, these, in this sheet were all these animals that, that Peter had never been allowed to eat because of the law. It was animals that were considered unclean under the law. And the Lord told Peter, rise, kill, and eat. And Peter says, not, no, Lord, I, I'm not going to eat that. I, I've never eaten anything that's common and unclean. I've, I, I, I've never done that. And so the Lord shows him the vision again. After he, after he tells God no, he goes back into the vision and he sees it again. And the Lord says, rise, kill and eat. And he says, no, Lord, I've, I've never had anything like that. I'm, I'm too holy for that. I, I don't, I don't, I, I'm too holy to have that kind of stuff. And so... And so he says, no, Lord. So the Lord gives him the vision a third time. And he says, Lord, I've never had anything that's, that's common and unclean. And in verse number 9 of Acts 11, the voice answered me again from heaven. What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. God rebuked him. And he said, when I tell you, to do something, don't act like it's not a big deal. When I tell you to do something, don't act like it's ordinary and common. The word common there means ordinary or, or, or of, of, of no special position or no importance. Things that we see as ordinary and common, some people would get ev give everything they had for this experience. Amen. That's right. I remember when I first got off my, the plane on my first missions trip.
to Africa. And when I came out of the airport, and we were coming out in a group, and when we came out, there was a fence about 10 foot tall. And behind that fence, as far as you could see through the crowd, it was, it was nighttime, and so we couldn't see very far. But as far as we could see beyond that fence were people pressed. And, and you would see these people with their hands through the fence asking for money, some emaciated people, little children that that let that that were nothing but skin and bones, with their with their 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 their, their eyes sunken, looking through that fence. And and the people that we were with, they would not let us get close to the fence because they knew that we would give them everything we had, and and we would have to be there for two weeks with nothing because we would have given those little children everything that we had. And I realized that was the first time that I was ever really exposed to people that, that really, truly didn't have anything. And on that bus ride from the airport to the hotel, we would pass on uh, we would pass places where nothing but cardboard and corrugated metal and people just laying and living there with absolutely nothing, no, no electricity, no running water, no no just living, just hoping to get a little shade or a little shelter from rain. And that and, and it would go like that for miles all the way from the airport to the hotel. And I realized then that things that I take for granted, things that I take for granted, those people would give anything to have. The stuff that we throw away at the end of our meal, they would save and they would eat and they would be happy to have it. The stuff that we turn our nose up and say, no, I don't like that. There's no I don't like for them. They're just happy to have anything to eat when they have their babies in their arms and they have nothing at all. They'll take the crumbs that you would throw away that you would say, no, nah, that's no good. That's that's garbage. We'll just throw that out. But they wouldn't. They would, have, they would take it and they would feed it because what's ordinary and common to us is everything to them. What we throw away to them may be the difference between surviving another day or another night. And Jesus, the, the Lord told Peter, he said, look what I have called clean. Don't you call it ordinary and average. When I send something into your life, don't you treat it like it doesn't matter. Don't you treat it like it's average and ordinary. Don't turn up your nose at the things that I send you and act like it doesn't matter to you and it's not good enough for you. Peter, don't you ever tell me that the stuff that I send you is average, ordinary, mediocre, that you can live without it. May I tell you today that I am fearful that many times that when we come to the house of God, that we've been in so many church services. We've seen so much of the glory of God that when it moves, we just, we're so used to it that to us it's common and it's ordinary. But somewhere out there, there's somebody that would give everything they could to have what you and I have right now. Oh, God. I was, I, was, I was reading some time ago about a, a group of people in a mosque. And it was this massive training session in a mosque somewhere in the Middle East where they were teaching their children how to beat themselves with whips. They would take these whips and they would beat themselves on the back until the blood was running down and that was their way of showing their God how much they love him and how dedicated they are to him. And so they had this training session with little seven, eight, nine-year-old boys that they were, te were teaching them how to beat themselves until the blood ran down their back. And on this picture that I saw, you could see it was a, it was a picture from a high vantage point 
And you could see all these boys and all these people. And you could see the blood staining the floor all around them. They were doing what they could. They're letting their blood flow to, to mourn the slaying of some martyr that they had. The grandson of their prophet Muhammad. And part of the ceremony were these eight and nine-year-old boys whipping themselves until the blood came down to honor their God as if somehow God got some kind of pleasure in them beating themselves and bleeding. Like the God I serve doesn't expect me to beat myself. He took my beating for me. Amen. I don't have to prove to him I love him by beating myself. He proved he loved me by being beaten and nailed to a cross. Never once, those poor little boys that have been raised. Now, it's probably been years that they've done that. God only knows the scars that they carry on their bodies. But they, they would give anything if they really knew how good it feels to be in a real Holy Ghost worship service. And what it really feels like when the power of God begins to move into the house of God. If they really knew what it felt like when we lift our hands and say, all my life, you have been faithful. And all my life, you have, if they could feel that for one moment, they'd throw their whip away. They would walk away from their temples and they would come to the God that says, I love you and I paid the price for you. But to us, we've been in that, we've been in services like this over and over again. Brother, Brother Azar, he said you can't teach a, a Muslim a Bible study because a Muslim doesn't believe the Bible. And so you can't win them with the Bible study because they don't believe in the book. He said the only way to win a Muslim is you've got to get them into the presence of God. And when they get in the presence of God and they feel the power of God, that convinces them that there's something to it. And I, I remember I was preaching just back in April. I was preaching there. And I was preaching about the Holy Ghost and how the Holy Ghost is a gift for everybody. And the Holy Ghost began to move into that sanctuary. And about five or six people, most of them from a Muslim background, were filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And three were baptized in Jesus' name. Because when they got in the presence of God, they realized this isn't common. This isn't ordinary. I've never felt anything like this before. I've never experienced anything like this before. Because what God calls common, what God calls clean, don't us call it common. Amen. I, I, I flew, and, and I've told you this story, I flew from, from Beirut to Cairo. And when I got to Cairo, it was the first night of Ramadan. And so Ramadan was starting the next morning, and that's a month of fasting. And so what they do is they fast all day, and as soon as the sun goes down, they eat like wild animals. They, 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 and then when the sun comes up, they fat, and they do that all month long. But we, when we got there, we went into this little, uh, we were trying to find some place to eat. I, we'd flown, it was about 11 o'clock at night, it was late, and Cairo's a city of about 7 or 8 million people, and it's this massive, sprawling, uh, just, just sprawling city. We couldn't find anything to eat. We stopped place after place, and we're all closed, getting ready for Ramadan, and uh, we found one place that was open. We go in, there's one little table. And when I, I look at the wall and there's a roach crawling up the wall and then there's cats coming in and out and while we're sitting there talking and I'm trying my best to, uh, to not notice all the, 
stuff. I keep hearing this goat. I mean, I'm in the middle, in the middle of a city of 8 million people. I hear this goat. <laughs> And I'm watching that, that roach get higher up the wall and those cats come in and out. Man. And I finally get to the point where I got to get some air. And so I go outside and I'm standing on the sidewalk and I look to my right and the goat is being cut up on the sidewalk. And then getting eaten in just a little bit. And in this city... While, while Brother Azar, we, we, got, we got in the car and we had to, he went in to get some water and I was sitting in the car with this pastor of a denominational church. And he begins to talk about how oppressing and overwhelming Islam is in that culture. That everything, the influence of everything, the songs, the government, every part of society. And how, and this man, this man, somebody had told him about Jesus a few years before. And he decided that he needed to have a church, so he starts a church in his house. It's illegal. There's, he's not supposed to have this church in his house. But he learned about Jesus, but he didn't know about the Holy Ghost. And he didn't know about baptism in Jesus' name. And the reason we were there is he had watched some of Brother Azar's church services online and had reached out to Brother Azar. And so Brother Azar and I flew into Cairo for the purpose of preaching and talking to this man and to his wife. Can you throw that picture on the wall for me, Brother Zach? This is that pastor. I blacked his face out because he could be in serious danger if somehow the wrong people saw this picture and, and, and could find out who he was. But this was this man being baptized in Jesus' name in his basement in a little swimming pool. Amen. Because he found. Now, now let me tell you, that was a Wednesday night. That was a Wednesday night in Cairo. And you know how most Wednesday nights are in a typical American Pentecostal church? Most of you don't know because you don't ever come. But for the church, it's still a little bit laid back. While for, what for us is a dead midweek, for this man, the greatest experience religiously of his life. Because what's common to us was something he had never experienced in his entire life. What we see over and over and over. For him was fresh bread. It wasn't common bread to him. Oh, God. Hallelujah. I, I, I got to finish this message. I've been preaching a while already, but, man, I can't get out from under this burden just yet. Amen. I'm not trying to be a smart aleck. I'm not trying to be hard. I'm trying to, I'm trying to move somebody from where they've been stagnated at spiritually to another place. And the only way to do that is I got to create an appetite in somebody. Amen. I remember when I was in Ethiopia, I mentioned the trip just a little bit ago. In that particular meeting, I saw so much happen that it changed my mind about what church was and revival was and a move of God was. It made me hungry for something that I had never seen in my entire life. I had seen American Pentecost, but I had never seen real hunger before. 
And that week, and I got I, I, in that in that that trip to Ethiopia, I saw thousands. Literally in one day, I saw about three thousand people get the Holy Ghost in one day. We saw hundreds of miracles in one day. We saw the lame walk. We we saw the deaf speak. We had blind eyes open. We saw all of that. And, and, and when I got home, I got home on a Wednesday night, and that next Monday, I started preaching camp meeting in Louisiana, and we were having a powerful camp meeting, and in that camp meeting, it was 1995 now, and we had an amazing demonstration of the power of God, and on one particular night, on Wednesday night, in that worship service, the place was just, I mean, we were having just old-fashioned Holy Ghost church. And in that worship service, a boy, a deaf mute boy that had been in the camp meeting. You've heard me tell this story again. Most all my stories, I need to get some new stories. That's what I need. But this deaf mute boy was, had, had decided that night to get baptized in Jesus' name. And so they take him to the platform and they put him in the, in the horse trough on the platform in his suit and tie. And they baptize him in Jesus' name. Well, they come, somebody runs over to me and grabs the mic out of my hand and runs it over and they hold it over that horse trough and in that horse trough, that 12 or 13 year old deaf mute boy is speaking in tongues and is playing over the loudspeakers at Camp Olive for about a thousand young people to hear. And when that happened... It set off a reaction of the Holy Ghost in that place. And in that night, there were like 50 that got the Holy Ghost. There were miracles, signs, and wonders. The Holy Ghost fell. I mean, the power of God moved in that place like nothing I've ever seen in my life. It was so powerful. Amen. When, when that service was over, we were trying to go to the cafeteria and eat. And as we were walking from the auditorium to the cafeteria, people would come up for prayer. They would say, I've got this problem, that problem. We'd pray for them. They'd fall out and God would heal them. Somebody would come up and say, I didn't get the Holy Ghost yet and I want the Holy Ghost. And we'd pray for them right there on the, on the sidewalk and they'd get the Holy Ghost. While the, when we walked in, we started eating and people would come up to the table. And the next thing you know, the whole, the whole dining room, people were getting the Holy Ghost and Slade in the Spirit being carried out late that night. All of that happened in that one moment. But there's an image. God help me to preach what I feel. There was an image that was frozen in my mind because while I was on that platform in that thousand seat auditorium, while I was standing on that platform and there's a deaf mute just off to my right in a horse trough talking in tongues. A boy that had never spoken in his life is speaking in tongues. And I happened to glance from him and I looked to the back wall. And when I looked to the back wall, there was a group of young men, teenage boys, and they were all standing around and they're elbowing each other and they're talking and laughing and they're just carrying on. These aren't drug addicts. These aren't alcoholics. These aren't, these aren't people that they, that they just picked up at the crack house and brought to church. They weren't people that they, they didn't back take a van to the bar room and load them all up from the bar room. These were church kids. These were teenagers that were raised in a church just like this one where we shout and talk in tongues and worship and sing and preach. They could quote Acts 2.38. They knew everything about the standard that we live. They know when to clap their hands. They know when to raise their hands. They know when to stand. They know when to sit. But their problem was that it became so common to them that while God was moving, they couldn't connect to it because it was ordinary to them. They had seen it so much that it didn't move them anymore. And because it was so common to them, they missed the supernatural that was happening right there. They had been in dozens of camp meeting services. 
They had been in hundreds of shouting services. But the setting was so common to them that they missed what was happening in the supernatural. Because to them it was common, ordinary, not special, of no importance. Do we have anybody here that's 70 years old? I said, uh, a reluctant hand went up. Got a few 70. If you are 70 years old and you have been faithful to just the three regular services a week, you have been in almost 11,000 church services in your life. That doesn't count camp meetings, revivals, special services. That's just the three regular services a week. At 50 years old, just the normal three services, not counting camps, conferences, revivals, special services, all that, I've been in over 7,800 services. I think I've probably been in over 10,000 at least. A typical 16-year-old church kid, raised by our typical faithful family, three services a week, not one or two, three, has been in about 2,500 church services. My soon-to-be 16-year-old daughter, has been in over 820 Sunday morning services just like this one. My soon-to-be 12-year-old, here in just a couple of weeks, my soon-to-be 12-year-old has been in a little over 620 Sunday morning services. Raised in Pentecost. They know our songs. They've heard our sermons. One of the worst things that could ever happen for them is for this just to be common bread to lose the wonder of his presence. It doesn't matter how long we've been here. It doesn't matter how many times that we come to this place, there is no common bread here. There's never a service where we say, that's ah, just another Sunday morning. Oh no, there's no common bread under my hand. Oh, it's just another Sunday, it's just another sermon, it's just another song, it's just another message, it's just another worship service, it's just another altar service. Oh, no, 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 my friend, there is no common bread here. And what God has called holy, don't you ever call it common. Oh, it's just pastor preaching again, it's just another sermon from preacher. Oh, it's just another Sunday morning, we'll have another one like it next week. Let me tell you right now. I got a good friend in, in, in Nebraska. I got a friend, one, of my, one of my good friends. I preached in Nebraska three years in a row. I'm getting ready to go in just a couple more weeks. And I got a friend out there whose 19-year-old grandson is laying in a funeral home right now. Tragically died late Friday night. Young preacher, anointed, licensed with the Assemblies of the Lord Jesus Christ, laying right now in a funeral home, waiting on his family to come see him one last time. Let me tell you, there's, to them, this isn't just a common Sunday. No, 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 they don't need just a common, run-of-the-mill, ordinary Sunday. This is not just another church service. For somebody, this may be your very last church service. It's not common bread. You may have been to 100 church services, but there's somebody that needs deliverance here right now. 
Amen. There's a marriage that if God doesn't move, they're not going to stay together. This is not just common bread. There's some young people that if they don't get a fresh anointing from God, they may not make it through the trials of their life. You don't know what they're facing and going through. You don't know what they're dealing with at home. You don't know the kind of stuff they have to face just to come to church every day. This is not common bread. This isn't ordinary bread. This isn't just another Sunday morning service. There's never such a thing as an ordinary Sunday service. If it's an ordinary Sunday service, that's a me problem. Not a God problem because there is no common bread. There's never a worship song I can check out of, whether I like it or not. There's never a sermon I can tune out because I don't think it's for me or I don't like the preacher. It's not something I feel like hearing. There is no common bread under my hand. God said, What I called clean, don't you call it common. What I've sent to you to hear, let me tell you, I'm talking in the Holy Ghost right now. What I've sent to you to hear from the man of God is not just common. You better pay attention to it because it's not ordinary bread. There is no common bread under my hand. That's what God's telling us right now. There's no ordinary Sunday morning and Sunday night. There's no ordinary Wednesday night. There's no just going through the motions. There's no just average sermon. You better fight for your passion and better fight for your walk with God. You better get real and wake up and realize that the devil's trying to deaden your faith and deaden your spirit. There is no common bread. Oh, I wish everybody would raise their hands right now to heaven. God, help me to get my passion back. Help me to get my fire back. Don't let me get stale and cold. Help me be like the bread in the altar. I got to fight for my worship. I got to fight for my prayer. I got to fight for my walk with God. I got to fight for my purity. I got to fight for my kids. I got to fight for my marriage. I got to fight for my sanity. I got to fight for my sobriety. I got to fight for my relationship with God. There is no common bread. There's no service that you can take off. There's no service. Well, it's just another Sunday morning. That's a, that's a loser's mentality in the spirit. And God rebuked Peter and said, what I've called clean, don't you call it common. God, I, I don't want this sermon. I'm not hungry this morning. I don't want it. I'm going to tell a story that, that lets you know what kind of a baby I am sometimes. I'd gone to the store and bought some food to cook on the grill. I was going to cook a meal, and it was almost ready. We were like 20, 30 minutes from it being ready. And two of my daughters went to the refrigerator and got a snack. I'm not going to say which two. I'm not going to give their names. I'm going to protect the innocent. But in my, I'd, it was hot out, and I'd stood over that grill, and I was, I was sick of it. By the time I'm done cooking, half the time, I'm sick of cooking to the point I don't want to eat it. But obviously, I do. In my mind, for one second, I thought, I ain't doing this no more. I wonder what God thinks when he sends an anointed word for our lives. And he tries to shake us out of our complacency. 
And he tries to shake us out of our carnality. And he tries to shake us out of our worldliness. He tries to shake us out of our apathy. And when he's delivering, we're looking for a Pop-Tart. I wonder if God says, okay. Then I'm not going to send you another one. And I wonder how many people went into hell because they rejected their last sermon. There is no common bread under my hand. God, I pray, I feel your presence here, Lord. God, these are good folks. God, these are good people. God, these are good people. Help us, God, to not lose our hunger for things from you. God, when you're wanting to give us visions, help us not to say, oh, this is just a common service, just a common altar call, just a common message. It's like all the other 7,800 services I've been in, God. And God says, what I've called holy, don't you call it common. Because your eyes are closed all over this place. One of the great curses of America is that we are blessed to satisfaction. We have so much that we don't understand hunger. And so right under our noses, things that we've long taken for granted can be taken away because it's so common to us that we no longer pay it attention and then it's gone. And one of the great, one of the great battles that I as a pastor have is that we are so blessed that we often take it for granted. And we don't realize that not everybody has what we have. And not everybody feels what we feel and hears what we hear and experiences what we experience. And so it's a constant reminding, be hungry for God. Be hungry for God. Be hungry for God. This is not just Sunday morning. I don't even know that Sunday the 10th of October is not just another Sunday. Don't call it common. There is no common bread under the hand of God. In the name of Jesus, God, I pray for the anointing of your spirit to move here. Oh, God, I know that no matter how much I've tried, there's some that it's fallen on dead, deaf ears. But, God, somewhere in this congregation, there are people, oh, God, that realize that they've lost the edge of their passion. 
and that it's time to reach. It's time to dig and it's time to fight. Oh God, I pray, Lord Jesus, that we realize there is no common bread. Thank God for these young men and young women in the altar. Thank God, but where's mom and dad? It's common, it's ordinary. This altar ought to be filled. There ought to not be enough room. There ought to not be enough room. If we pressed everybody as close as we could, there shouldn't be enough room for everybody that probably needs to pray today. And I'm talking about myself as well. Oh God, it's not just common. It's not just ordinary. It's not just run of the mill. There is no common bread today. I need this altar service. I need this altar service. Because I don't know what my tomorrow has, and I don't know what tonight. By the time we lay our heads down tonight, we don't know what might befall us. There is no common bread. So I treat every moment with a fresh urgency. And I treat every moment, God, this is not just another altar service, but I need Thee. Oh, I need You, Lord. God, I need Your presence and I need Your Spirit. God, I'm reaching out to You. God, I'm pushing myself. Come on, can you push yourself in the Spirit? God, I'm not going to let it be common to me. I'm not going to let it be ordinary. I'm not going to let it be run of the mill. Reach over and pray for somebody close to you.
Can you lift your hands to the presence of the Lord? Can you sing this to him? God, I just want you, Lord. God, I need more of you. I just want you. Nothing else, Jesus. Nothing else, Jesus. Nothing else will do. time, reach over and lay your hand on the person close to you and let's pray one for another. God, help us to have a holy hunger in our heart. God, I pray that you would let a hunger, spiritual hunger rise in my spirit. 
Come on, pray for your brother, your sister that you're praying with God. Let us have a hunger and a thirsting for you. God, rekindle the passion for your presence, Lord. God, not just, not just to be in a Pentecostal experience, but to have a real encounter with you, Lord, to feel your presence. I had somebody tell me just two Sunday nights ago, they said, Brother John, I think I'm too far gone. I can't feel it anymore. I think I've gone too far. I can't feel it. No matter how many times I come to church, I can't feel it. They come, they come, they bring people. But they said, I can't, I can't feel anything anymore. I think I'm, I've gone too far. And my answer is exactly what I preach today. Pray until you get hungry. God, whatever you got to do, help me to be hungry, God. Don't let me get to that point where I can't ever feel anything. Don't let me get to that point, God, where it's been so long that I don't know if I'll ever feel you again. Don't let me get so far and so cold, God, that I ever could say I think I've gone too far. You know how that happens? You let a service become common, and then another sermon becomes common, and then another one becomes common, and then another one, and before long, years have gone by, and you think, I'll never get it back. The solution is, there's no such thing as common bread. This certifies that Leah Nicole Jeter was baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ on the 5th of October. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Tonight, be free at 5 o'clock, prayer at 6. I'm going to tell you, if you have not been in the prayer room on Sunday nights the last few weeks, you're missing some of the most powerful experiences that you'll ever have. We ought to pack that prayer room, amen, and be a participator in prayer, amen. God bless you. You can bring your tie to the storehouse and be dismissed at your discretion. God bless you.